Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Today, we have uh, two esteemed panelists, um, and uh, the National Coalition of Homeless Veterans has been doing great work out there for all of our veterans and have been, has been really actually uh, doing great things, getting our veterans uh, with better housing and uh, meeting their needs where they are. And so Catherine Monet is the uh, Chief Executive Officer of the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, and we also have Ralph Cooper, the Community and Residential Veteran Services Coordinator, Cloudbreak Houston, LLC, and co-founder of the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans. Uh, the two of them are just fantastic. Every time I have them on, I think we need to have a 24-hour show because we get into some really great conversations. <laughs> uh, so today's discussion is going to be transitioning housing to end veteran homelessness nationally. Welcome, 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 Catherine and Ralph. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Good to be here. Great, great. So, so why don't we start off, uh, Catherine? Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the transitioning housing uh, to end veteran homelessness nationally, and why this is so important for our veterans and for our nation to listen to? Yeah. Well, so that's a really great question, and I think one of the first things that your listeners probably need to know is that. Transitional housing has been one of the most um, effective programs at ending veteran homelessness. It's been one of the longer-standing programs, one of the very first programs that VA um, was able to really offer to serve veterans exiting homelessness. And so I think it's been going through kind of some gradual modernization and shifting in the last few years but it still is a pretty important part of the continuum of services for veterans experiencing homelessness. Oh, fantastic. And so, Ralph, what, what, from your perspective, what do you think this means? How, how can we actually have this transitioning um, of housing to end uh, veterans' homelessness uh, nationally? Is there uh, enough of a will, enough of an impetus, enough of a force to do this? Well, I, I think there, there is. But one of the things that I've come to realize is there's not a lot of education for people who are, have never experienced homelessness mm -hmm. to understand what it means, to, whether it's transition or permanent housing. Uh, to be on the street, to survive, uh, and we veterans are very adept at survival. Mm -hmm. But we also end up using those survival skills that becomes a part of our way of life. So that when you move from in the street, homeless for a year or more, sometimes four years on it, to move into a unit, and oftentimes very new property. Mm -hmm. that requires a certain amount of living skills, a certain uh, amount of, of attention to 
paying your rent on time and all of those kinds of things. It is a daunting task. Therefore, transitional housing, in this case, grant and per diem projects, which allowed you to, to once again do reveille, get up in the morning, kind of try to get you in touch with what it means to come out of homelessness, mm-hmm. to have three square meals, to mm-hmm. also to interact, come out of that isolation and interact with other people. And the, the original transition, housing had more than one person to a unit. And this is the thing I think we need to all talk about. And Catherine will probably want to want to really delve into that. Is that how do we do that? Especially during COVID, we had to make some changes. Wow, that's that's really. You made some really deep statements there. I'm, I'm just like uh, floored by this because you, ne- you never think about this, but, you know, we don't have anything about homelessness in the educational system. We don't talk about it in the media. We don't talk about it, um, you know, really in the newspapers unless we're talking about someone who uh, was assaulted on the street uh, because they were homeless and, you know, some no do-gooder, you know, uh, assaulted them. But we don't have anything, any kind of really view of what it means to be homeless and how difficult that transition back into regular life can be. So, you know, uh, Catherine, he was just um, mention, you know, mentioning things uh, uh, about, you know, you're uh, giving a more in-depth view of that. But that is astounding. You know, this is something we need to stop and think about. And I bet, you know, you were saying that vets were adapted to survival in many different, you know, settings. And I bet they're probably part of the people that are helping those people who are homeless that don't have those skills as well out on the street. So, yeah, I think that that is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, you know, the show and this show that you all have been doing, Having Us On Monthly, is a really interesting part of that conversation. But there is another organization, one of our partner organizations, that I'm just going to take a second to plug. Um, they're called Invisible People, okay. and they are actually run by some formerly homeless folks. And their big media issue is kind of allowing people to hear the perspective of people who are currently homeless, right, to help people better understand the challenges and why people are out there. And that's a little bit different than what we're talking about today, but I just did want to say that because... They do some really great um, video media and news articles now on, I think, Apple News and all kinds of different places. So I think that is one really great place for people who are interested, right, to go to start to kind of learn and think about what it actually means to be a person experiencing homelessness. But when you think about kind of the shelter systems, right, Mr. Cooper did say that there were some really big changes that happened on account of COVID, right, where there were fewer people in shelters, um, different kinds of needs to keep people safe. And I think that there is kind of this ongoing conversation around what a shelter should actually look like and kind of how it should feel when you get there, right? Because mm-hmm. there are many shelters across the country and, you know, they're in different configurations. Some of them are single bedrooms with an individual bathroom and a kitchen, like a shared cafeteria downstairs. Some of them are more barrack style where, it's a giant room with open bays and bunk beds kind of lined up very closely, right? And I think that recognizing the need to continue to offer this service, we do need to think really critically about 
how we continue to do that in a safe way and in a way that gives veterans who are coming in for services the dignity that they um, deserve. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go on to that uh, website myself <laughs> to take a look at that because uh, that's something um, I should have been doing over time to learn more about what it means to be homeless. You know, when I was going through school and all that, I actually lived inside of a laboratory. I, I slept on a park bench a couple times, you know, because of not having the funds to actually have a place and actually had to buy books before I bought food because I, I needed to get through school. And uh, you know, I had a guest on a little bit earlier. It was President uh, Biden's plan for VA infrastructure. And so what is the plan? Mm-hmm. Is there a plan right now in the current administration to address the homelessness and actually assisting things like transitional uh, housing uh, to end uh, veteran homelessness? Well, yes, there is. And um, uh, the particulars, I think, uh, I'll lead to, to my esteemed colleague, but Basically, it's uh, $50 million has been allocated to um, help in this situation uh, to move from the multi, uh, multi-person housing unit into individual units with uh, bath that is only utilized by the individual. So they, they're real, we're talking about a, a real sea change uh, in, in the way we're looking at. Now, you know, I personally think that having more than one person in a unit during the time when you come from homelessness in, into, uh, out, of the, out of the streets and into an area where you've been isolated and had to deal on your own to be able to have someone there to help you along the way has its benefits. But, of course, with COVID come along, it's uh-huh. a dangerous situation. Uh-huh. So a lot of the, those had to be moved into hotel units so they, they- in order to, to get this done. So they gave $50 million. Are you talking about for Rhode Island? Uh, because it seems like I think that should be a bigger need throughout the country. You know, $50 million nationally is not that much money. And, uh, you know, the, well, I, I think the legislature should be pushing more. <laughs> well, so one of the things that I think we've been trying to push on, Colonel Arnold, is that $50 million isn't enough, right? It's a good start. And I right, think right. out of the about 11,000 beds across the country, According to VA, about 8,000 of them are in congregate settings, and that $50 million is only enough to renovate about 1,000 of the congregate beds. So we do think that there needs to be more investment to get some of these facilities kind of up to standard. But there also probably needs to be, like, a solid look at how VA uses its unused or underutilized infrastructure on medical center campuses or you know what they're going to do when the Air Commission kind of comes up and they decide whether they are not going to be accessing certain parts of VA medical facilities because affordable housing is a challenge everywhere, right? And at the end of the day, I think NCHV has always has always supported having a strong VA because the continuum of services is just more robust for veterans. But if they are going to access something, I would not mind seeing any of those buildings become veteran affordable housing. 
Yeah. So how do you think veterans should get involved in this? You know, should we be writing our senators and congressional members and, you know, just, you know, we, we had battle buddies you were mentioning uh, earlier. And, um, you know, Ralph was saying that veterans are really adapted to survival mode in, uh, in the streets. And, um, you know, that transition could be difficult, um, uh, you know, going into a uh, setting where you have transitional housing. So what should veterans be doing? Because these are our battle buddies. I mean, I served in uh, combat zones, as many of our veterans did. And what should we be doing uh, to make sure people realize that these are still, you know, part of our family and they uh, they need to be taken care of properly? Should we be writing out congressional members or senators or how do we get involved? I think we start right at the uh, at the local level uh, to talk to your city councilor, to talk to your mayors, to talk to your representative, uh, as well as talk to your congressional representatives and senators. Um, one of the things that I've often talked about is the fact that in order to accomplish uh, affordable housing, uh, we need to have low-income tax credit. And with this, and one of the things that about this $50 million, which is astounding to me, is that they're not asking the developer to come up with match money which is brand spanking that's never even heard of, I mean. Uh, so the, the thing is that I would say to contact your, all of those individuals about is to increase the sum. It's not enough mm-hmm. for what they're asking to do. And it, just, just like you said, it's, a, it's really 50 million is a drop in the bucket. And so... Um, that kind of thing is always important. And, you know, most people really, you know, you ask somebody, say, who's your city, who's your city councilor? How many of them will tell you right away no. who they are? <laughs> How many know who their state rep is? How many of them even know who their congressional representative or senator is? Right. And so there's, this is still a part of the thing that I talk about, the education, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Uh, I was so impressed when you said you were going to go right away to that website to learn more about what homelessness is all about from from the mouths of those who were homeless. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be pushing out here. And and also we need some classes around, hey, get to know who your rep is. Get to know what's going on in your community. And then be proactive, write, call, all of those things that you can do to support the efforts of those who want to help uh, this, this this serious issue, which is only growing now. You understand that we're going to all have more homeless veterans out there. Yes, because yeah, we have a we have a whole group of people coming back from Afghanistan, right? So we're pulling troops out the field, and they're coming back home. And we were talking about that earlier about the you know the uh, attendant healthcare needs that they will have. Uh, but there are also uh, veterans who are coming home that may be jobless, who um, may um, end up on the street in, in the same kind of situation. And so we should have a better home for them to come back to. Did I lose you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, maybe, um, you know, Ralph, can you explain what is a low-income tax credit? Because it sounds like you were saying they should be pushing for this. 
uh, because that will help the situation. Hello, Ralph. Okay. Okay. Oh, Catherine. Uh, it looks like. Uh, so I can chat. Ralph in. dropped. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you'd like. Okay. Well, so the low-income housing tax credit is one of the most reliable sources of federal funding for producing deeply affordable housing, like the kind of affordable housing that's not just like average workforce housing for teachers and firemen, but housing for folks who are below 30% of the area median income, right? So mm-hmm. generally those are kind of the income levels that we tend to see for people experiencing or exiting homelessness. Mm-hmm. And so because we're in such a housing affordability crisis in this country, we've been looking a lot at the low-income housing tax credit and how states and communities allocate that funding and who is actually calling out, you know, specific set-asides for veteran affordable housing or for affordable housing for people experiencing homelessness. And I think the spoiler alert here is that very few states actually say, yes, veterans are um, a call-out special population and one that we prioritize with our tax credit funding. Okay. Oh, fantastic. So th- so there is a need for us well, to... Okay. Oh, go ahead, Ralph. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Something cut me right off, and I'm back. <laughs> no, um, That's fine. of course... Catherine uh, did a marvelous yes, of course. job. Is exactly <laughs> what we need. <laughs> yeah, I have I have two very uh, in, important scholars on the phone right now. Those are the two of you. <laughs> so both of you know this stuff backwards <laughs> and forwards. Um, so you know, so so what what are some of the ch- uh, challenges you see coming up? Because you were mentioning the H one N one. You know, like back in the day, back in two thousand nine, we had H one N one, and people got sick, but we were able to recover. Now we are faced with this new SARS CoV two virus that causes COVID nineteen. And it seems like it's going to have a deeper impact on people. Um, and it seems like people who are in the homeless situation uh, were uh, more difficult to reach for getting vaccinated and those kinds of things. So they're going to have more issues to confront, right, as they're coming back out of uh, trying to make a transition into housing and actually trying to find employment um, and getting their lives on track. Uh, so how how do you see them being, because it seems like they would be more deeply impacted than the average person that's living with a swimming pool, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, has, uh, you know, a 401k plan and stocks that are increasing over the 2020 time period. So what what can be done for the people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, what can, what, what can be done? Is, one of the things is that we have to realize that that the flu, you can you can live side by side with somebody with the flu, and and uh, but but you can't live side by side with someone who has the COVID because it's such it's it you know it's such a devastating and deadly type of thing. And so now that we've got the vaccine, what we need to do is really emphasize. Which we, which I know we are doing a good job with, but everybody has to get the vaccinated, complete vaccination. And mm-hmm. after that, we need to to understand that support the 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 kind of support that veterans need is, is beyond what we would normally consider support. 
you have to be able to talk to the veterans about relearning living skills. How do you how do you how do you shop for food? How can you, do you know how to cook your own meals? Uh, do you remember how to make that bed and make the quarter jump on the <laughs> on, on the, you, on you know the, all the things that that veterans have already really experienced? They need to be reintegrated again into society and and re and and uh, also help just get back to where you were at one point in time and beyond. And it's it it takes a it takes a lot. It takes case management. It takes support not only from uh, counselors and so forth, but support from the actual people who run the development. Um, we're, we're, we're not all case workers, but every single person that uh, works for Cloudbreak Houston knows that they have to be able to go and talk to these veterans and help them in any kind of way that they can, even though it's not our job. And and, it, and I'm telling you, it takes a lot to get folks back to being able to live independently. Because what we really want, right, is that we want our veterans to have those who can work, have a job, make a living wage. Those who can't work, to be given the opportunity to get the benefits that they have earned and deserve. And, and we help them in every kind of way to, to make this transition into independent living a reality. Yes. Yeah, one, one thing you were mentioned, um, Ralph, and this is for Ralph and uh, Catherine for you as well, that, you know, one of the points you were making is that the COVID-19 uh, has really put a um, damper on people living together. So if you have two people living in a unit, that may be a desirable situation, you know, for people transition. Um, what do you – is there a resource or a place that people who are providing these vaccinations – you know, currently I work and help with the mass vaccination planning with the state of Illinois. Uh, I've been doing that for a bit. Um, uh, since not this past March, but the year in March in 2020, I've been uh, working with them to reach out to different communities, homeless and all that. So who who, who should people uh, start looking towards as far as, you know, uh, how can they help make sure these people are vaccinated? Because that may be one of the things that can at least assist in this kind of process. Well, um, I thought Catherine would jump right in, but let, let me just say this. The churches have been doing some phenomenal stuff. Okay. You know, for us, that's, that's our, that's our uh, social hookup, okay? Yes, yes. Um, we need, and I like the idea that Biden is saying that, the President Biden is saying that we're going to bring the vaccines to you. If you can't get to the places on and so forth, mm-hmm. we're going to bring them to you. I saw an ad. Uh, with Spike Lee, who says, hey, Uber will take you to be vaccinated for free if you don't have the the transportation. So it's all of these kinds of efforts together that are going to make this, you know, Mm -hmm. make us be able to get back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah. Well, you know, because with the housing units that are existing now, do you think there's a need to be a concerted effort for 
those people who are vaccinating to actually get involved with those housing units that are existing currently, you know, uh, where you have, um, you know, homeless veterans who are transitioning back into, um, you know, transition uh, housing setting? Well, you know, the VA has been doing fantastic. Go ahead, uh, mm-hmm. Kathy. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to agree and disagree with you, Mr. Cooper, because I think in some communities, VA is doing amazing and they're bringing, you know, the mobile vet center or mobile medical center right down to the shelter to actually serve the veterans. But in other communities, um, it's not as easy, right? They're requiring shelter or permanent supportive housing providers to transport veterans to them. So oftentimes, you know, veterans are, you know, struggling. Providers are struggling to figure out how to do that if you're in a facility with 80 veterans or 50 veterans. And I think to some degree, some of them are actually relying on um, some of the, like, state mass vaccination sites or other means to just get vaccines out. But I do still think that, you know, there is a little bit of an issue with vaccine hesitancy among this population. So it's kind of a twofold challenge, right, where you're not only looking at the logistics of how to make it happen, but also some of the, you know, continuous messaging about the benefits to encourage folks to take advantage of the opportunity. Well, thank you very much. We're running out of time, uh, but, you know, our partner, National Coalition of Homeless Veterans, we are so uh, honored to have you. As I said before, you know, I could have have you on for 24 hours, and we still would be (laughs) just... uh, scratching the surface of the issues that you confront and contend with every day. So um, uh, the people can reach you at the, uh, what is your website or a way they can con- uh, contact you? Uh, so our website is www.nchp.org. Okay. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.